Thank you, Michael. This is our uh, final week in our How to Pray series. And, and, I, and I, my hope is that this series has truly changed your prayer life. By the way, pollen's getting to me, so uh, if I sound a little nasally, I apologize. But it doesn't normally get to me, but I'm getting older, I guess. But, uh, but I hope the series has really helped your, your prayer life because we are meant to be uh, praying people. Prayer is a gift that, that God has given us. It's how we have an intimate relationship with him. And that's what we want for each of you. We want you to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Why? One, because he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. But two, transformational power flows out of your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Hear that. Transformational power flows out of your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. See, your intimate relationship with Jesus doesn't just affect you. It affects your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, with your coworkers. It affects your, your neighborhood, your, your community. It affects the world. The Holy Spirit can, can use your intimate relationship with Jesus to transform lives all around you, not just yours. So that's why we pray. There is power in prayer. Do you hear that today? There is power in prayer. When we pray in Jesus' name, there is power in prayer. And so we've been asking Jesus to teach us how to pray, just as the disciples did. And Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer to teach us the structure of prayer. So look at it with me again in Matthew chapter 6. Before we get there, remember Matthew 6 is our chapter for 2022. We are going to be a church who gives to the needy. We already do that, as I mentioned, uh, once a month as we give 10% to our uh, ministry partners. We're going to be a church that prays. We're going to be a praying church while we're doing this series. I'm not preaching to entertain you. I'm preaching this series because I believe God has called each of us to this church at this time, because he has something he wants to do in our lives and in East Cobb. And I know that can only happen if we participate. That can only happen, church, if we are a praying church. It can only happen if we are desperate to see his kingdom come. If we're desperate to see his will be done. And so we're going to be a praying church. We're also going to be a fasting church. We're going to talk about, about that more uh, next Sunday. But I have come to believe that when we apply what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6, breakthrough happens. Chains are broken, addictions are broken, families are restored, and relationships are mended. The gathering church will be a church who gives the needy praise and fast. That is who we are going to be for our sake. And the sake of those out there. And so look at this prayer that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus said, this, is, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, throughout this series, we've been breaking down this prayer. 
You can find the previous sermons on YouTube, Rumble, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. But today, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. And I want to reread them, but this time from um, another translation. Look at it here. It says, And forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I've decided to, to lump these two uh, verses together because ultimately they deal with the same thing. Ultimately they're talking about spiritual warfare. See, the Lord's Prayer is ear, uh, bookmarked by two distinct individuals. The first line is, Our Father in Heaven. And then the last line is, But rescue us from the evil one. Now, most people don't really have a problem with that first line, right? Most of us wouldn't be in church if we had a problem with that first line. We believe in our Heavenly Father. We believe that our Heavenly Father is one person of the Trinity, right? There's God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We believe that, that some 2,000 years ago, Jesus took on flesh and walked the earth. We believe this. But the question is, why? Why do we believe that? Why? Not, not, I'm sorry, not why we believe that, but why did Jesus come to earth? I'm not worried about why you believe it, but, but why did Jesus come to earth? Jesus didn't come to earth to teach us how to be good people. Jesus did not come to earth to show us some magic tricks. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus came to, to save us. But the question is, from what? Now we go back to the last line of the Lord's Prayer. But rescue us from the evil one. Let me say this as clearly as I can. There is an evil one. There is a devil. Jesus spoke of the devil. Siri wants to preach every week. I think it's the, I think it's the name Jesus and she hears it as Siri. Uh, yep, that's what it was. Alright, I'm going to take this off. She's going to want to keep preaching. Because I'm going to keep saying the name Jesus. All right. Uh, there's an app for that? Yeah. Uh, but Jesus spoke of the devil. So if the devil isn't real, then that would mean Jesus was lying, which would mean Jesus wasn't God, because God can't lie since lying is a sin. Right, right before Jesus began his ministry, Jesus spent 40 days in the desert fasting and praying. At the end of those 40 days, Jesus was tempted. But hear me, Jesus did not tempt himself. Jesus was not talking to himself. The devil tempted Jesus. But in the Western church, the church in North America and in some places in Europe, especially England, we have all begun believing this nonsense that there is no devil, that Satan isn't real. But outside of North America and England, that idea that Satan isn't real is absolutely laughable. We are the minority in this respect, church. And even here in, in North America, the idea that there is no Satan, it's a fairly new one. The greatest line in the movie, The Usual Suspects, is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. If you don't believe the devil exists, there is no reason to worship Jesus. Because by not believing the devil, not believing in the devil, you're denying the reason for Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we have to get to this place where we acknowledge and accept the reality of the evil one. Now, I'm not saying he has horns and a pointy tail. 
right? I'm not saying he has a little black mustache that holds a pitchfork. In my mind, he has really, really bad uh, facial hair, a mullet. He wears jorts and a Florida Gator shirt. Um, <laughs> but we don't know what he looks like. So I could be right. But it's not important. What's important is he's real. And he has one goal. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief, the enemy, the evil one, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That applies to us as individuals. also applies to everything that God ever created. His only desire is to see everything that is of God destroyed. And he uses temptation to do this. You see, he can't force us to do anything. Most of the sins we've ever committed were committed because we gave into the temptation of evil. Right? We use the free will given to us by God to do something that grieves God. While we are responsible for our decisions, the evil one is the one tempting us. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, once said, You can give the devil too much or too little attention. You can give him too much attention or you can give him too little attention. Now this idea that we can give the devil too much or too little attention isn't completely unique to the modern world. That scale existed in Jesus' day as well. When Jesus spoke with the devil, with the evil one, he knew who his audience was. And part of his audience would have been Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. Now I want you to look at this with me. This is a spectrum of the acceptance of spiritual warfare, spiritual matters. And as we go through this, I want you to do one thing as we go through this. I want you to think where you belong on this spectrum. Where you belong. Which group that we're going to list off here do you think you would belong to? The first one is the Sadducees. They were the sophisticated and, and political maneuverers. They distrusted anything that smacked of spirituality. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in life after death. So for them, the kingdom of God was just a socio-political construct. This whole deliver us from the evil one wouldn't be something they would be too into, right? If they, if they prayed the Lord's Prayer, maybe they just would probably mumble that last line. Deliver us from evil. You know, that would be the Sadducees, right? They just would mumble it, they would, or they wouldn't even say it. And then you have the Pharisees. Pharisees were the middle ground. They believed in angels and demons. They believed in heaven and hell. They believed in the enemy. But they believed that the way you overcame Satan, the way you overcame temptation, was to live a radically righteous and holy life. See, for the Pharisees, it was all about rules. In fact, they had 613 rules that they would believe would help them overcome the evil one. And so they would have been happy with the last line of the Lord's Prayer because they knew they had their 613 rules. I got my 613 rules, so I'm going to be okay. See, the Pharisees essentially worship the rule book. Finally, you have the Essenes. These guys were intense. They would camp out in the wilderness, and, and they prayed a lot. They sought God with everything they had. They were, they were like the opposite of the Sadducees. So the Essenes, everything was spiritual. Right? While the Sadducees minimized spiritual warfare, the, the Essenes, they, they wallowed in it. 
Right? If the, if the Sadducees wanted to get rid of that last line of the Lord's Prayer, the Essenes would have probably liked that the last line be the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. To the Essenes, if you stubbed your toe, it was an attack of the devil. If you bit your lip, it was an attack of the devil. If you were forced to listen to Taylor Swift, it was an attack of the devil. Okay, that one actually is probably an attack of the devil. But you get my point. Taylor Swift fans are going to stone me after church. Uh, so you have the Sadducees, you have the Pharisees, and you have the Essenes. Now, most people fall into one of those camps. Maybe you have no use for any conversation regarding spiritual warfare. right? You believe that it's all psychology, that everything can be explained by psychology, and that, and that nothing is a matter of spiritual warfare. The only demons you care about are the ones in the movies. Or like the Sadducees, all you care about is social justice and fighting the man. And then maybe some of you are like the Essenes. To you, everything is spiritual warfare. Now, I've experienced this most in other countries, but it also happens here. You, uh, you don't believe in counseling or medic medication since everything is spiritual. You just have to pray it away. You see everything as a spiritual attack. When someone points out that the reason they stubbed their toe was because they were too busy looking at the phone, their phone instead of where they, they were walking, you said, no, it was the devil's fault. Remember, the devil tempted Adam and Eve with an apple, and who made the phone you were looking at? It was apple. See, it's all the devil. <laughs> so maybe you're in one of those groups. But I think a lot of people in the church would say that they would align more with the Pharisees. Now, if you've ever been in church for a while, you, you might bristle at that because we know enough of the Bible to know that Jesus spoke against the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees mistreated people. We know we don't want to be called a Pharisee. But, but in this case, I think a lot of folks would, would have to say that they, they kind of fall into, into this camp when it comes to spiritual warfare. right? You have no problem admitting that spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare uh, affair is real, but let's not get too carried away with it. I mean, okay, it's real, but, but let's talk a little bit more about sweet baby Jesus. Let's talk more about how to, how to study the Bible. Let's talk more about how to love people. Let's steer clear of these topics that make us look like one of those Christians. You know the ones we're talking about. I think this is the group that makes up a lot of our churches. right? We will say that spiritual warfare is real. We will say that Satan is real, but we don't really want to talk about it. reality is there's a fourth group. The fourth group is the group that I think actually follows Jesus' teachings. See, again, Jesus believed in spiritual warfare, but he also believed in common sense. He understood what was spiritual warfare and what wasn't. There are things of the spiritual world and there are things of this world. In Mark 12, 17, Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus very clearly understood that there was a difference between the worlds. And so Jesus was offering another perspective on spiritual warfare. Common sense tells us that not, not everything is spiritual warfare. But at the same time, we should be able to recognize and identify the things which are. Again, it's about balance, church. Again, C.S. Lewis said you can give the devil too much or too little attention. It's about balance. But I'll make it even simpler for you. Our focus should be on Jesus and Jesus alone. See, I know too many Christians who want to talk about Satan all day long. 
Some of you are old enough to remember the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Right? Everything was about Satan. I know Christians like that. Folks, hear me. I am not here today to preach about Satan. I'm here to preach about Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't deny the existence of Satan, but I preach Jesus and his victory over Satan. Hear me, Satan is real, but he is not going to get the majority of my attention because Jesus is just too good for me to take my eyes off of him. And so today in the time we have left, I want us to look at prayer as it applies to fighting, up, fighting back against the evil one. We're going to look at prayer as it relates to spiritual warfare. So flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. Grab your phone because I know you have them. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. I'm not going to walk through every piece of God's armor today, but I want you to know that most of God's armor is meant for defense. The armor of God allows us to stand firm. Now, there may be times we are called to take the fight to the enemy. More often than not, we are simply called to not give ground. Like that famous scene in, in Braveheart, hold! You remember that scene? You've seen Braveheart, right? Okay, good. Uh, if you haven't seen Braveheart, that's your homework. All right. But we are called to hold our ground, to hold this ground in the name of Jesus. Think of a seawall. The whole purpose of a seawall is to hold back the sea, to keep the sea from destroying houses and businesses. We are called to be like seawalls, holding firm against the, the attacks of the enemy. And we do this through prayer. We do this through praying in Jesus' name. Karl Barth was a theologian who died in 1968 at the age of 82. He had this beautiful understanding of prayer. Karl Barth said, in Christian prayer, we find ourselves at the very seat of government. At the very heart of the mystery and purpose of all occurrence. Do you understand what he's saying there? In prayer, we are seated with Jesus at the head table. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. You are partnering with God to exercise his authority in order to bring about his will and his kingdom. And so when we understand that there is an enemy and his only desire is to steal, kill, and destroy, we are compelled to pray in Jesus' name so that the enemy attacks don't make it over the wall. Through prayer, we're able to stand firm because that's God's will for our lives. Are you seeing this? But there will be times when Jesus will call his followers to go on the offensive. Some of us did that this, uh, a few Saturdays ago. When we, we, we went to the motels on Delk Road and we, we marched around the motels praying in Jesus' name that his Holy Spirit would flood the buildings with freedom. We prayed against the darkness that, that had engulfed those places. 
There may be a day when you are called to take the fight to the enemy. And prayer is going to be your weapon. You can't throw rocks at him. You can't shoot him. But you can speak the name of Jesus to him. But for many of you, the spiritual warfare you will experience more often than not have to do with the enemy tempting you to sin. Let me say this about sin. I think we have failed in the church to define sin correctly. Sin is not about just being a good person or not. Sin uh, is it, not about being the most well-behaved kid in class. I think that's how, how we sometimes see sin, right? Kind of like the Pharisees. I keep this rule. I keep this rule. Look at me. I behave well, especially compared to that guy, right? Sin is not about just being a good person. Sin is a spiritual matter. Sin is anything that separates us from God. That is a spiritual matter. Sin steals, kills, and destroys our joy because it separates us from God. Therefore, sin is of utmost importance. Sin should disgust us because it disgusts the God we say we love. The enemy has worked hard to water down sin in our eyes, so it's nothing more than a minor bad decision. But we must see the temptation to sin as the enemy trying to destroy us. It doesn't matter how small you think it is. If it is a sin, it will steal, kill, and destroy. The temptation to commit the sin is the enemy rushing your walls and trying to break them down. And again, you are called to hold your ground. It doesn't matter if it's a temptation to have an affair or the temptation to tell what we call a little white lie. They're both a spiritual matter, but the enemy is hoping you're one of those Christians who doesn't put too much stock in this whole spiritual warfare stuff. Church, our families are crumbling today. Our community is crumbling. Our nation is crumbling because we not only refuse to get into the war, we refuse to even recognize that there is a war. I'm telling you right now, the enemy is real, and he wants to destroy you and your family. I'm not talking about you stubbing your toe today or yesterday. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about that constant desire you have to look at pornography. I'm talking about the amount that you're drinking. I'm talking about the sleeping around you're doing. I'm talking about the money that you're hiding. I'm talking about secrets you're keeping from your spouse, the constant pursuit you have of pleasure, the constant avoidance of doing the hard thing, the constant desire to be affirmed and approved, the constant denial of the lordship of Christ, the constant refusal to follow Jesus without hesitation, the constant desire to watch TV rather than pray, the constant fear of sharing your faith. Holy Spirit, convict us right now. I believe you know what I'm talking about. Those things the enemy is using right now in your life today to destroy you. You're called to fight back. Church, you're called to fight. We are called to call on the name of Jesus in order to hold our ground and to take ground back in the name of Jesus. His kingdom come. His will be done in our personal lives. So I want to give you three practical things to remember. The first, and we just mentioned this, the first is pray. 
in the name of Jesus. Pray in the name of, not in your name. Pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus has already conquered everything that is trying to conquer you. Victory is already assured to those who pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus has already assured the victory. So God's will is for you to conquer that which seeks to, uh, that which seeks to conquer you. However, you have to want it as well. God's will doesn't just happen, church. We are called to participate, to pray into existence. In the ninth chapter, in the ninth and tenth chapter of Daniel. Daniel recognized that the people of Israel were not meant to be in captivity, and yet that's where they were. And so Daniel decided to pray and fast for 21 days. Why? Because he realized that God wanted one thing, but it was not happening, so he decided to pray in order to pull it in, to pull down the will of God. But what's important to understand is what happened when Daniel fasted and prayed. An angel came to Daniel and told him that his prayers were heard on the very first day he prayed them, but the angel had been fighting with the prince of Persia. What does that mean? It's a little insight into the spiritual war that's raging all around us. See, so often we pray one time and nothing seems to happen, and so we think that God's not listening or, or God answered no, and, and we stop praying. Church, that's not the case. God hears every one of our prayers. However, we do not know what's happening in the spiritual realm. We don't always know exactly what we're up against. The angel was responding the moment Daniel prayed, but was detained due to spiritual warfare. That's why we have to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, because God hears you. You just don't know what you're fighting. You might be fighting something bigger than you thought. So keep praying in Jesus' name. So that's, that's step one, praying. Step two is to practice it. Practice it. Pete Creed, whose course, the prayer course, is a big resource for this series, tells the story of one of his mentors, Floyd, Floyd McClung. McClung was called by God to plant a church in the red light district of Amsterdam. For those of you that don't know, this is an area of Amsterdam that's full of brothels and uh, pornography stores. And McClung was called to plant a church right in the middle of that area. In fact, on one side of his church was a satanic church, and on the other side of his church was a pornographic bookstore. And so he told his church that instead of just praying about spiritual warfare, they had to practice it, they had to live it. And so he taught his church that, that because they were surrounded by sexual immorality on one side, they were going to live with transparency and integrity and accountability. And because on the other side of the church, there was a satanic church where Satan was literally being worshipped, he taught them that they were going to worship Jesus and Jesus alone, and they are going to worship him like mad. They were going to be some of those crazy Christians that just couldn't stop worshipping Jesus. They became sold out on living this way. Full transparency, full integrity, full accountability, unashamedly worshiping Jesus with everything in them. They were committed to living out their faith in a way that put them in the complete opposite end of the spectrum compared to the world right around them. Within two years, the bookshop closed and the satanic church burned down. We are not only called to pray in the victory of Jesus. We are called to live in the victory of Jesus. 
Again, Paul told us to pray without ceasing. I think this is part of what he's talking about. Living in the victory of Jesus so that his will is done and the enemy loses yet again. And so church, let me ask you, what bookstore in your life needs to close? What satanic church in your life needs to burn down? I'm not being literal. I hope not. But we are surrounded by things that grieve God. Things that break his heart. Things that the enemy is using to destroy us and others. Will we be like McClung and plant a church, God's house, right in the middle and live in a way that shuts them down? Tune out because you think I'm telling you to become a preacher. I'm not. At least not in the way you're thinking. We gotta preach it. And when I say preach it, I, I mean simply we gotta tell people about Jesus. I'm not just talking about people at the store or in your office or at your school. I hope you're telling those people about Jesus. But this sermon is not about uh, evangelism to the outside world right now. We need to be telling ourselves and Satan all about. We need to be preaching Jesus to ourselves. We need to be preaching Jesus to Satan. Too often we preach everything but Jesus to ourselves, right? In fact, it, it could be argued we preach Satan to ourselves, or at least things that make Satan happy, right? Things like, oh, it won't ever get better. I can't do better than this. I'm just a loser, and this is what I should expect out of my life. No, no one could ever love me. I'm, I'm a failure, and I've always been a failure, and I'm always going to be a failure. I'm not pretty. I'm not good looking. That is not preaching Jesus. If we, don't, if we want to fight back against the temptations in our lives, we need to start preaching Jesus to ourselves and Satan. The only part of God's armor that is solely offensive is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We fight back by telling ourselves and the enemy what God has spoken over our lives. We fight back by telling ourselves and the enemy who God says we are. We fight back by claiming and proclaiming the victory that is found in Jesus Christ. Some of you have already given in to temptation. The enemy has attacked your walls and you didn't hold your ground. And he is destroying your life, or at least a part of it today. Maybe you see the full extent of the damage, or maybe you don't, but you know you gave into the temptation. You let the enemy gain a foothold in your life. And maybe right now, you know you need to fight back. Right now, you know you are living in sin. If you're looking for a church that's not going to talk about sin, you've got the wrong church. I am a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve it. So we're going to talk about sin. And you know right now you're living in sin. You know right now you gave into that temptation last night or this past week. So your first step today is to repent. <clears throat> repent means to stop, turn around, and go in the opposite direction. Repent of your sins. Admit you messed up. And then ask Jesus to forgive you. 
Because forgiveness is available to you today in this place. Do you want it? But maybe you realize today for the first time that there is a spiritual war raging in, in your life. There's a spiritual war raging in your marriage, in your relationship with your child, inside of you. Maybe before today, you could never put your finger on exactly what was wrong, but today, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to the fact that at the root of the problem is a spiritual issue. We have spent five weeks now talking about prayer. I have given you the tools you need to fight back against the enemy. It is up to you if you want to fight. It is up to you if you want to regain that ground. It is up to you if you want to hold your ground. Do you want to fight? Do you want to fight for your marriage? Do you want to fight for your children? Do you want to fight for your community? Are you willing to step up in order to hold God's ground in your life? Are you willing to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray to bring his kingdom and his will down to earth? You probably notice the pillows on the floor. This is your first time. These are new. We brought these in today. We'll have them each week. Because we want to give you a place and an opportunity to pray. Right here, right now. Some of you need to repent and ask for forgiveness today. You know it. No one else may know it, but you know it. Some of you need to repent and ask Jesus to forgive you. And you will. Hear me. Some of you need to start fighting back against what the enemy is doing in your life. Some of you need to start preaching Jesus to yourself today. Some of you need to start telling Satan who Jesus says you are. Whatever the reason, I believe we all need to pray today. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to invite you to do something that can be uncomfortable in church. But we're going to be a praying church. I'm going to invite you to come and kneel, grab a pillow, and kneel on these pillows and pray. If all the pillows are taken, praise God. If all the pillows are taken, you can pray in one of the chairs. It's fine. You can stand up here. You can kneel on the floor. It's time to deal with the issues in your life, church. I did not just go five weeks of this series for nothing. At least I hope not. It's time for us to kick the enemy to the curb. It's time to bring God's kingdom and God's will into our lives, into our marriage, into our relationships. If, you, if you're here with your family, you can come as a family and pray as a family. I mean, praise God. If you're here by yourself, you can come by yourself. Just come. Today is the day we become a praying church. If you don't know what to pray, pray about, if you're sitting there right, right now and going, I'm not giving it to temptation, I don't feel convicted about anything, then praise God. What about everyone out there? about those in your life who don't know Jesus? Can you pray for his kingdom to come in their life? You're not going to pray for yourself. We all have something we can pray about today. No one has to know. You the Lord. You the Lord. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I invite you to come and kneel. Michael will come up. He'll, he'll play a little bit and we'll go into the last song in a little bit. Let's pray and I invite you to come. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,
You know what's in our heart right now. You know what you celebrate, and you know what's in our heart that, that you grieve. For so often we give in to the lies of the enemy. So often we, we allow the enemy to use temptation to, to pull us away from you, Lord. And so, Lord, forgive us of our sins today. Lord, let those in this room today who know that there's sin in their heart come forward and kneel. Yeah, they can do it in, in their chair, Lord. We know that. But there is something about coming before you and kneeling. Get into that posture and kneeling before you. So Lord, there's anyone here today who needs to be forgiven. Let them know that forgiveness is available. Let them come. There's anyone here today, Lord, who knows that for the, maybe for the first time, everything that they've been struggling with is really a spiritual issue. Let them come and spend some time kneeling before you. Say, Lord, I, I need you in my life. I'm struggling today. I recognize for the first time that there's a spiritual component to this. I don't even know what it is, Lord, but I'm going to come before you and I'm going to kneel before you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, as people come, just hear their prayers. So, Lord, if there are people here today who are like, I, I don't know what to pray for. Lord, let them, let them come and pray for their family who don't know you, the, the community around them that don't know you, this loss. Let them come and pray for the Ukraine or, or for Russia. But Lord, let us be a praying church. Let us pray your, your kingdom down today. Let us pray your will down today, not, and not only in our lives, but in our community in this world. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord.